there's something really special about Stockholm and the Stockholm-British relationship, which is what we will talk about today. We're open to the world and we know that we're so small, so we cannot compete on market, so we have to compete on innovation. Let's do a, build a global company from, from day one. And I think yeah. that kind of symbolizes a little bit the mentality of most Swedish entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs, like they're building global companies. We will have failed in terms of digital technology if we don't solve the diversity issue. We've kind of made it worse, but we have all the tools to make it better. Pulling off that trick of being both incredibly pro-enterprise and pro-tech, yet also in favour of putting in place a framework so that it can be harnessed for the good of society is really important and I think it's something that we need to work on internationally. Creativity and innovation should be borderless and should be positive and should be above national identities and religions and, and gender. And so that's what we're trying to do is bring back the positive energy into tech. And I think that can be done in this tech bridge. Welcome back, friends. This is the second episode of the TechBridge Sweden UK podcast and event. And today we have a super exciting day on the future of European tech and policy. We are so lucky to have the UK Digital Minister, Mr. Matt Hancock, as well as the Swedish Minister of Enterprise, Mikael Damberg, as well as the founder of Skype, a true pioneer of European tech, Niklas Zenström. He's also the founder of Atomico. And finally, we have the amazing Linda Griffin, who is head of global public policy at King, but also has a really important role as the co-founder and chair of the EU Tech Alliance. And Nicholas Enstrom is the president of the EU Tech Alliance. So we're hoping for a robust discussion on how tech and politics can speak the same language. We just finished a great panel. Let's hear a few exciting tidbits from our panelists. Secretary Hancock, what are three concrete things that make London such a great tech scene? Undoubtedly, number one is the is talent, the depth of talent, the amount of people who you can hire who have great experience. The second, I would say, is a, a proactive but liberal government and governance organisation. Uh, so whether that's at the city level and at the national level, we're big enough to have scale, but we're small enough that if you have got a specific problem with a thing that needs to change, you can get the meeting and you can get the thing changed. So, you know, we're not as big as the as the two mammoths when changing things is a, uh, it takes so much uh, effort, but we, we are big enough to have that economy of scale. Maybe the third thing really is our is our openness. And I know with uh, the big uh, the big B thing going on, uh, there's a <laughs> massive debate about this. But what's interesting in the Brexit debate is that the, uh, is that the argument has been won from both those people who uh, voted Remain and those people who are um, who voted Brexit and pushed for Brexit. That the future Britain has to be open and outward looking and gregarious and international and actually engaged with the whole world, with the with our um, uh, our friends and partners in the rest of the European. Union uh, and also use this as an opportunity to, uh, to cast wider too. And we've got to manage our way through that process and, um, uh, and that's a pretty hot topic. Uh, and we're very grateful for Sweden's support in 
ensuring that we get to a, uh, a, a very uh, to a good deal and a sensible, uh, rational deal. But that openness is is important. And really, you ask for three things, but actually, it all adds up to one, which is an, it, I just use the word ecosystem. Everybody knows what that means. It's the sort of it's the source. Uh, it's the it's the thing that makes it a combination of fun and a good place to do business. How will you ensure that London will continue to be an exciting, gregarious, interesting place for tech companies to come to? We continue the drive to make changes to make it as easy as possible to start and grow a business. And we are absolutely determined to be the best place in the world to start and grow uh, a, a tech business. And there's a lot of people who are competing for that title. But that's good. I think this is a, a good race to be in. But the thing that's changed in the last couple of years is it's also increasingly clear that we need uh, pro-innovation frameworks in areas that we haven't previously. So, so in terms of social media, making sure that uh, the social media is a force for good. There is a role for government in making sure that social media, the downsides of social media are, and the risks are mitigated, despite the fact that it is a massive, overall a massive source of uh, freedom and a force for good. Uh, and then with the new technologies like AI, I mean, part of harnessing AI for society is to make sure that, yes, we uh, encourage and are enthusiastic about the, the, the innovation and the freedoms, but also we make sure there's a framework in place so it can be developed in a way that works for society, ultimately, uh, and that the risks are mitigated. Pulling off that trick of being both incredibly pro-enterprise and pro-tech, yet also in favor of putting in place a framework so that it can uh, be harnessed for the good of society is harder than just being unambiguously, you know, all tech is good. But it is really important, and I think it's something that we need to work on internationally. And we also had the privilege to speak to Swedish Minister of Enterprise, Mikael Damberg. Minister Damberg, what is it about Stockholm that makes it such a hub for such a small nation? Talent and, and uh, competence is, of course, uh, extremely important for us. So our university has, over time, produced a lot of good engineers, really talented persons. I think that is, again, people driving innovation. But also infrastructure has been important for Sweden. So the broadband and the mobile net, the Ericsson company that invented 2G, 3G, 4G, now competing on 5G in the world. Of course, this has been relevant mm. for the development. But it's not only that. Also, we were very early adopters in Sweden. So if you want to test things, come to Sweden. My my uh, my father-in-law, he's the perfect example. He's a pensioner. He has everything uh, in tech. Uh, so uh, he really so Swedes like to try new things and this has always been a kind of um, culture thing in Sweden. We're open to the world as you mentioned and we know that we're so small so we cannot compete on market. So we have to compete on innovation and being in the forefront and collaborate with the big ones around the world. So I think that sets a, a mindset that is really uh, relevant for, for, for the tech sector as well. So uh, we're very happy that Stockholm is competing with Silicon Valley in producing unicorns per capita. Yeah. And that's kind of a, we've got so much attention on Stockholm and Sweden uh, by this. So, uh, so it's created now a very strong uh, ecosystem as well. Not as strong on finance as London. So many Swedes actually use London as 
uh, a bridge to the to, to the big world. But uh, I think we can learn from each other even more. I want to follow up a little bit on this concept of Swedish values. I, I work run a new foundation for Daniel Ek, who's the founder of Spotify. He always said to me, you know, Swedes start companies because they can. Mm. They have a safety net. They have education. They have the support to try things, fail, to follow creative pursuits. When it comes to women, there is very robust parental leave. So there's a lot of, you know, creativity can come from everywhere. Mm. It's not competition and struggle necessarily, but it's collaboration. You know, is collaboration the new competition? Yeah, I think so. I think the platform economy that everyone's talking about is about collaboration. You can't fix everything yourself. You find, you find the brilliant persons that actually can solve some of your problem and you co-create co with them. So I think we have a, a great culture in Sweden for that, like fika. It's very important on <laughs> Swedish workplaces. Before lunch and after lunch, you sit down, you have a coffee and talk with everyone. You, you can talk with the boss about his vacation or mm -hmm. whatever. And that creates kind of a non-hierarchy situation. Yeah. I think that is very relevant. You can question the boss or the R&D manager because I have an idea. So if you take account all the talent and creativity in an organization, I think you will succeed better. So I think there is something about the egalitarian mm -hmm. system of Sweden that actually is good for creativity, that you don't risk everything. You can follow your passion. And if people do their passion, they will become great. I'm here with Minister of Enterprise Mikael Damberg. We've just finished a really cool session um, panel with, with Nicholas Sandstrom, obviously the founder of Skype, and Atomico, Linda Griffin, who's head of global policy at King, as well as the digital minister for the UK, Mr. Matt Hancock. And I think there were so many cool themes coming out of it about the bridge between London and Sweden, London and Stockholm as tech hubs, the differences in values and similarities, what are the drivers of each area, and what more do we need to do? And and I think that the overarching theme, which is, in my opinion, the most pressing question and, and conundrum we have to get around of our time is how can we get tech and politics to speak the same language? These two areas will drive the future. And so that's the point of this series, the UK-Sweden Tech Bridge. That was a lot of the discussion today. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast, Minister Damberg. So I guess I'd love to start by just asking, what was the key takeaway you got from the session? What stuck with you? The first, uh, thank you very much for, for moderating the seminar. It was great. Uh, and I think uh, the first takeoff uh, take is actually that Sweden and uh, Great Britain has so much to learn from each other and we, we will have to continue to have a bridge. Uh, although they're perhaps going through with Brexit, it will change perhaps the way we interact, but we will have to keep that contact because we're so dependent on each other. And I think we can learn from, from London because London is the tech capital of Europe, but Sweden are punching above its weight. And uh, I think we have some lesson learned in Sweden that is also relevant for, for, for London. So um, great to have the initiative. I think the tech bridge uh, could prove to be a good starting point for even closer business relations between uh, Great Britain and Sweden as well. There's something that we can't all agree upon in these times of kind of anxiety. It's, it's tech. Everybody wants to build. It's human nature to create. So I think how can we keep that spirit alive with, you know, some of the negative protectionist tendencies. So does this, this worry you? Can the bridge stay a bridge? I hope so. I, I think actually every country and every politician will have to make some lesson learned now after some elections results around the world and also after Brexit. What 
was it that made people vote against or stop or out? Uh, I think it is a sense of insecurity in societies nowadays. People are, are, are feeling insecure and the politician's role is to create security for people, to actually make them trust uh, that it is possible to, to, to get things done, but also that there is help if we get into pro- problems. And I think the Swedish or the no- Swedish model in, in the welfare state actually is an example, give people protection and a possibility to restart. If technology hits your job market, you can retrain and go to another, perhaps better job than before. And that story is very important in this age of time, I think, because so many are saying that 50% of all the jobs will disappear in 20 years' time. I don't believe that. If I thought that was true, perhaps I would also vote for going away or stop everything. Uh, But I actually think that technology will drive change and make a positive future. And that is the lesson learned, at least in a Swedish perspective. Historically, we were one of the poorest countries in Europe 100 years ago. Now we're one of the richest, and it's through technology and innovation. And we we would like to solve new things and new questions uh, in this age. It's so interesting that you mention trust and self-empowerment and safety and security. I was recently, a few weeks ago, at at a kind of a small club of a lot of President Obama's former ambassadors that are all involved in the Democratic Party talking about the issues we'll have to face. And uh, President Obama's former chief statistician came up and gave us a talk and said that 68% of Americans feel that their hard work is not enough to make it. That is an enormous amount of fear and anxiety in there. And that's across generations. Um, So young, old. And it struck me living in Sweden that there was just such a social trust in politicians. It's the polar opposite feeling than we, I mean, we've never really trusted politicians in the U.S. And now it's it's difficult, not, not being political, but just it's hard to pass laws. We have a Congress that has passed the least amount of laws since, you know, 1921. Um, and I just wonder, can you give us as Swedes, and I know you're very humble and you don't like to brag, but how did you engender such a strong social trust? I think that's something Brits, I think Americans, we could all learn from. First of all, as a politician in Sweden, I I don't always feel that trust. (laughs) There is also a negative debate on on our responsibility and perhaps uh, our lack of deliverance sometimes that make people angry. So it's it's not uh, a sunny day all the time in Sweden. But I think if you look at statistics again, In Sweden, we've had real wage increases for ordinary people in 20 years' time. So every year, people has gotten more money in their wallets after uh, everything has been paid. And that, that is totally opposite of the development in the United States, in Great Britain. So many of ordinary people have seen their income diminish, but not in Sweden. So I think that creates a positive momentum for people actually believing that the future might not be as bad. Uh, and the other thing is you have to really have quality in your public services. And we have not always had that in Sweden, but we're trying to fix that. So people also feel that the public services have a high quality. Because otherwise, people start reacting, why should I pay tax if the schools are not good or if the healthcare is not delivering? So this, we have a big debate now because many people in Sweden feels that the quality is not really up to the standards. So we have to do more on this to actually get uh, get results of our, our tax monies. What's your greatest mission or focus right now? We ta- 
talked a lot about sustainability in the panel, for example. That's, to me, very much a Swedish value. And the government has also made a commitment to be one of the first fossil fuel nations in the world. Is sustainability what your passion lies right now? What, what, what are you focusing on this year? What do you want to get done? We've been focusing quite a lot on a smart industry to try to transform traditional industries also through tech and digitalization and automation. I think that's the future of Swedish industry that is really a big part and the backbone of Swedish economy. Still one million people goes to job every day in Sweden thanks to the industry. But the industry is transforming uh, with new robots or uh, uh, new ways of 3D printing or whatever. So this is a big shift. So we try to push this and make it faster. So we introduced a robot lift so actually a small and medium-sized company could invest in robots. We talk about artificial intelligence. So this is a very important question for us right now to stay ahead, uh, forefront of development in Sweden. Uh, and that brings about uh, productivity. So we have a big productivity gain in Sweden uh, compared to the US or compared to uh, Britain. Uh, we're very, that gives us a momentum in the economy. But I would argue that what you're saying about sustainability is on the is the other side of the equation because we don't think that you can be future-proof uh, industry without sustainability. So you have to work on sustainability, and we're trying to push now that Sweden should be uh, one of the first fossil-free countries in the world, and we can actually do that. And if we could do it in Sweden, that would be an example for the rest of the world, and it will demand a lot of innovation and new ways of doing it because we cannot continue as we've done if we want to be fossil-free. And I think that Swedish industries are really into it now. They really are looking into new possibilities. Uh, I can give you some examples if you want. But yeah, please uh, do. I think it's great to have a story. A traditional industry like uh, the iron industry, SSAB, uh, a big iron company in Sweden, they actually made a collaboration now on research with uh, LKAB, the mining company, and the Vattenfall, the energy company, to actually research how to make steel without using coal in the process. This would revolutionize the way you produce steel. Only in Sweden, it would result in a 12% decrease in CO2 emissions from the country. And this is, this is from a, a leading industry. SSAB is probably the best iron industry in the world already, but now they're aiming for zero emissions from CO2 with a new process. And then the government has to support that because this is not the shift that the companies themselves dare or can manage by themselves. They need our... Uh, ambitions, but they also need support in this transition. So I, I feel that is a very interesting uh, kind of example of transition, but also electromobility. How did the traditional transportation industry of Sweden transform to fossil-free? bioenergy, but also with electricity. So we're working very closely with industry now with electric highways and electric test labs for, for new vehicles so they can be on electricity instead of gasoline or diesel. You travel around Sweden. People often talk about Stockholm, yeah. but there are many interesting tech hubs. I was just in Gothenburg two days ago um, and seeing the big Volvo truck, the driverless cars when you land in the airport. Tell me about a story or an entrepreneur that, that you've met while traveling around Sweden that you want to uplift, that just opened your eyes in some way. I, I was actually this week up, up in Piteå, up in the northern part of Sweden. Um, <laughs> Lundqvist Bygg, it's called. So it's a construction company uh, building houses of, of wood. It's very traditional, but they have they have been introducing gaming uh, 
into the company. So you actually construct your new garage or your new house yourself on internet. And you just show, if you want a bigger garage, you just pull it yes. and it becomes bigger you put <laughs> two extra uh, windows uh, on the uh, on the screen and you can follow what would it cost so you actually cool. it's so cool a traditional industry being transformed by digitalization and they're so lean and smart in their production so when you've done your your kind of image on, on the screen they know exactly how many meters of woods are needed how many nails or whatever so it's revolutionized Brilliant. so it's Efficiency. happening all over Sweden yeah. so you should use your clusters that you're good yeah. at if it's the forest industry in this case or if it's transportation in Gothenburg or if it's um, software engineering in, in, in Malmö Lund we have different comp or design in Umeå we have really exciting places where you have deep expertise knowledge in many places and I think people are just now beginning to see whole of Sweden mm. because everyone started with Stockholm yes. uh, of course it's the capital but uh, it is a lot happening there's also now an incubator well. in Ore yes. in the ski area it, <laughs> launched by someone from Spotify no doubt yeah, <laughs> yeah and again if you want talent and you want passion some of the be- best uh, yep. are interested also in skiing so why not have a brilliant life Absolutely. Uh, next to the hill uh, with all the experience and then you can drive your companies on a broadband solution with the rest of the world. Of course it's possible. I mean, to me, it's almost a no-brainer as you discuss these things that Sweden really is or could be kind of a micro symbol for the future of innovation. When it comes to parental leave, when it comes to gender issues, when it comes to flat structures, all of these things are elements that, you know, my generation of Americans and young people, we we aspire to, we would love to be in a place where we have maternity leave and, you know, you don't have to have knock on the door of your boss in fear who has a corner office far away on another floor in the C-suite. All of these things Sweden has been doing for years, decades. Do you think that this is what the future should be like or can be like? I think uh, so in two ways. First of all, I think the platform economy, the collaborative uh, side of of the new economy is really good for Sweden because we like to collaborate. I think we have kind of gold medal in uh, grupparbete, it's called in Sweden, working together in a group. Yeah, teamwork. I remember a little Swedish. Everyone (laughs) is doing this. So uh, we're we're good at this, working together with different culture or people or in experience. Uh, we know that it, it can work and it actually produces better results if you actually get it right. It takes a bit longer in the beginning, but then you get really good quality uh, out of it. So that's one part of it, the, the non-hierocracy culture, the democratic mm, s- society. But the other part is where do you want to live in the future? Do you want to live in Beijing? With the pollution, uh, totally do you right. do you want to live in a in a country where your children will have a good upbringing and you can combine your passion for your work with some other passion like going to a football game or uh, skiing or being in nature or meeting friends? This kind of work balance life is actually happening in, in a society that gives these opportunities. And I think that is very modern. So if you want to attract young, brilliant women, especially, mm. they should come because it is a possibility to do your dream career, but also ha- don't have to choose. And I think that is good for men and women. And I think it's a model for the future. 
As a final question, we talk about collaboration. What call to action would you give as a politician to the tech community, to tech founders, so you can work together better? I think that that is a lesson that we have to learn even better in Sweden because we, we've been traditionally very good at cooperation, collaboration with traditional industries. Uh, but the tech sector is is not that mature yet so we don't have the collaboration uh, in depth that we should have so i think i think one takeaway from this trip is really the tech nation initiative here how do we make a swedish tech nation initiative because when i learn about it here it came a bit from the tech themselves so i would love to hear the tech coming to us and say this is what we think we should do together and i would really love to support it and i think sweden could be really benefiting from it so uh, that is one of the biggest takeaways from the tech bridge initiative anyone listening if you want to help build a tech nation in stockholm send me an email i'll connect you to minister damberg and we're going to do it <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> thank you so much thank it was great you. seeing you in london thank you for all your work thank you just finished speaking to Minister Damberg, who is someone I really respect and have had the privilege to speak to a lot and is so passionate about what he's doing. And now I want to take you back to the forum because we have some really great thought-provoking highlights. So stay tuned. And maybe in the 90s, the, the kind of the ambition level was to build a Swedish kind of dot-com company, the Swedish Yahoo, the Swedish Amazon or whatever. But then when we, we said, it's like, it was very clear for me, it was like su- such an obvious thing. It's like, of course we cannot build a Swedish company. When, when we started, my co-founder was in Copenhagen, our technology team were in Estonia. And then our first investor was from Luxembourg. <laughs> so when we needed to co- incorporate, it's like we just decided we don't have a home market. We're born glo- as a global company. Mm. Because bad. forget about, yeah. you know, it's like e- either one of these home markets are Sweden happened to be bigger both than, than Luxembourg, Estonia, and Denmark. So we <laughs> 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 picked the smallest countries in, in Europe. So it's like, let's do a, build a global company from, from day one. And I think yeah. that's kind of symbolizes a little bit the, the, the kind of the mentality of most Swedish entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs, like they're building global companies, which, by the way, is not a new thing because when Ericsson started, their first um, telephone exchange that they sold was uh, to China, I believe, and, and, and Ericsson was like a global company from day one. So we have a history in Sweden of entrepreneurs building global companies from, from, from day one, and not only in technology. So because we're a small country, we understand that we have to be outward looking and we love to embrace foreign cultures. We just heard from Nicholas Zenstrom talk about building global companies from day one, uh, something that I have personally always been impressed by with Swedish companies. One thing I always uh, focus on doing and as a moderator and whatever form I'm in is I, I raise the issue of diversity, specifically women in leadership positions, women in tech, because shining a light on it is, is half of the half of the challenge. And we were able to do that today and get some very interesting perspectives from parental leave to maternity leave to how do we really get more women high positions. We will have failed in terms of digital technology if we don't solve the diversity issue. We, in some sense, we've kind of made it worse, but we have all the tools to make it better. And Mr. Hancock talked about uh, childcare, for instance. Um, I don't think the UK can compare whatsoever to Stockholm. You're in different books in terms of the cost of childcare here compared to Stockholm. It's it, it's it is another world. Because so we need more founders. We need more people making decisions that look different. 
mm-hmm. essentially. But we also need, you know, they're the small amount of people. We also, and we need more women on boards, by the way, but, um, yeah. but we need more people working every day in the normal jobs. Parents, not just mothers and fathers, parents, we need mm-hmm. to be able to kind of propel them and not lose them too early from the workforce. It, it's the right thing to do, but it makes so much economic sense. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be rational um, workers and all of this. So I do think if we don't, if we don't get better at diversity, I mean, tech will have failed. I caught up with Linda Griffin on this really important topic in the library after the event. She has some great things to say. A lot of companies, we have a diversity and inclusion team. We have a lot of um, groups within the business that are kind of working together, just have come together because they want to, to talk about different issues, whether that's diversity of race or gender. Um, we, we, we get things wrong and what it's hard to get them right. We have to learn from our mistakes. Um, learning about unconscious bias, but is that the best way to tackle things? Yes. There is a lack of people coming through from the different education systems. We can't solve that. We can invest in schools, and we're doing a lot of that. For example, here in the UK, we work with ADA, the National hmm. College of Digital Skills. They want to have 50%, you know, female students in a couple of years. There's So, the, you know, we can put our money where our Absolutely. mouth is, as it were, and we should do And make that's a commitment. Sometimes we that's have half to. the battle. Yeah, and that's a long-term commitment, yes. right? You have to, we're thinking about five, ten years in the future. In terms of our recruiting processes, we are constantly trying to looking at the language of how we recruit and like what we post, um, how we interview people. We're trying to look at all the subtle things, and we have a long way to go. And funnily enough, we were talking about it internally in the business yesterday. There's 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 still a drive to do it, but there's the humility to say we're not where we should be. So that's a good start. I love to give kind of a final action call to action to the audience and people listening. If you could give one to the tech companies or founders or even politicians out there on how to increase diversity, how to really advance it, what's the one thing they can do more of? Talk to women like they're human, (laughs) not another species. One of the goals of the UK-Sweden Tech Bridge is to really create, cement, and activate a community. The people that we invite to these forums are incredibly active investors, influencers, media, and we want to keep them engaged. And so it's super important to hear their feedback. And that's just exactly what we did after today's panel. So right now you'll hear from several influential Londoners about whether they feel the future of tech actually is a bright one and what the two ecosystems London and Stockholm can learn from each other. Uh, So I'm Harry Briggs. I'm a partner at uh, BGF Ventures, a uh, UK um, venture capital fund. In London, we can learn from Sweden's global focus from day one. There are more truly global companies started from from Sweden, you know, proportional to their size, I think, than there are in the the UK. I think UK is probably a more kind of complete ecosystem in terms of both closeness to policy and obviously the, uh, the 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 capital side and 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 obviously has so many great universities and so much talent coming through. I think we've also both been very open to international talent, and obviously I hope that continues. Whenever uh, we have advances in technology, um, there are also uh, risks associated with that, and many of the great leaps forward have also um, led to you know uh, terrible calamities in their wake. 
I guess I would say that technology, we hope, will continue to, 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 to move quickly because probably the, the answers to most of the questions thrown out by tech are in technology. So as long as we continue to remember that human nature ultimately doesn't change, but um, so, so we need to be aware of our both sides of our nature and, and be aware of the, uh, the, the, the risks associated with, if you like, magnifying those, uh, then I think um, uh, technology has, has the ability to you know, continue to help us advance and do greater things. I'm Raish Misahoni, co-founder and partner at Seedcamp. Sweden has an incredible sort of sense of collaboration and innovation and pushing you know, creativity and innovation. You know, secondly, a great infrastructure to support taking risks. So I think that's a lot, you know, a couple of key learnings. I think that other economies, particularly in London, where we do suffer from sort of infrastructure around security for taking risks, for, um, you know, a diversity of people to get into entrepreneurship. So a couple of learnings for, from us. And I think in, in London um, or in the UK, you know, we have an incredible financial infrastructure and it's an English speaking country and it's a gravitational force um, to pull everybody kind of in a, in a melting pot. So I think for the rest of the world, that's something to look at and what a cosmopolitan place it is. Um, and, and secondly, I think, you know, it, especially the UK in the last 10 years around the rise of tech has taken such a leadership role on the behalf of all of all of Europe to really sort of stand out and make a path towards greater, um, you know, greater push on, on technology as a, as a force in our society. I am uh, Christopher Pisaridis. I'm a professor of economics at the London School of Economics. Tech is uh, ultimately should be applied in the production of, of, of goods, in the provision of uh, high quality uh, services. It's a new technology. New technology has always been, um, at first at least, received with some fear as to, as to what it's going to do to our jobs, how is it going to change the way we live. But each time we adopted it, and at the end of it, we are better off. Labor productivity rises, we can have more time off, we can have better quality things uh, in our everyday life, better service provision. And therefore, I'm, I'm enthusiastic about what uh, tech can do now. You know, let the boring jobs go on to the robots and uh, let human beings do the more interesting jobs in less time than we uh, do now. Peter Reed, I'm a technology investor with a, uh, a growth equity firm here in Europe called Vitruvian. For me, one of the big issues, and it came up this morning, was uh, uh, diversity, um, women in tech. Uh, and I have you know, one specific observation on that, which is I think we're going to find it a whole lot easier um, and we're going to see a lot more female entrepreneurs when we have more female investors. And so it's a lot easier for you know, women entrepreneurs to pitch to uh, women investors. So for us, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a priority uh, and something I think we, you know, we look at Sweden, uh, who do a whole lot better, have a whole lot more uh, female investors. And I think that's um, something we can learn from here in, in uh, sunny London. One of my sort of passion uh, topics is quantum computing. Um, and uh, we're in the very, very early stages of it. Uh, and it's being led by uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, IBM. And um, I think that is probably the biggest single source uh, for me of optimism about uh, the future of technology, because quantum computing, in its essence, uh, solves problems the way nature solves problems, rather than the way humans solve problems. Uh, and even in the short 
short term, even with very small embryonic uh, quantum computers, we're starting to be able to solve in silico problems like uh, nitrogenase fertilizers, uh, electric car batteries, uh, drug discovery, uh, aeroplane wings, all sorts of stuff that is really important uh, for, for us and for the planet. Omar Fayed, I'm the founder of um, two companies, an uh, engineering company called ST, Earth-Based Technical Ecosystem Enterprises, based in Lausanne in Switzerland, and um, a co-founder of a company called EarthX, which is a software company based in San Francisco. I would be wary of giving a very positive answer immediately, because in so many cases we've created more problems than we realise, and you know, there uh, is not one that needs any kind of persecution or blame, because it's not been done deliberately. What's the the best thing or the best application of tech generally I think is that you know we have been on this super roller coaster ride not, we've been on a super roller coaster ride now it's like a vertical takeoff rocket ride because everybody needs to get their seatbelts on and strapped in because it's going to be bumpy but I think over the next 10 years a lot of these problems need to be addressed so 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 quickly using that exponential you know capacity that we've developed technically now to turn many 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 things into a direction that can and actually, at the very least, work well together, whether it's tech bridges between different kind of tech companies, you know, a mapping company and a data provider, or a business intelligence company, or an NGO that has you know, social, cultural research, a government, again. So the ultimate is a double-edged sword with tech. You know, we, can, we can definitely create many, 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 many more problems now, I think, at a large scale than we have at hand. But we can also use those exponential investments in tech capabilities to very quickly build these bridges and solve you know what has been a you know that hockey hockey stick curve that's where tech can do good but it's a double-edged sword it can cut so 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 much both ways let's go back and hear some more from the forum this is going to be a speed round we're going to continue but mr hancock has to leave quite shortly so i want you to give each other a hard piece of advice (laughs) perhaps even critique you do this every day. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. We're both quite diplomatic. Yeah. You, can, <laughs> you can start with you go first. a positive <laughs> My advice is uh, you go first. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I start with uh, bra- the bragging side of London and uh, Britain because it is impressive what you've done and it's still an inspiration for many Swedish companies. And uh, uh, what you've done with the Tech Nation uh, or Tech City First and then Tech Nation mm-hmm. is something that we really don't have in Sweden. We have a lot of collaborative platforms in Sweden, uh, but those are mainly occupied by traditional industries. And they are transforming as well. Very interesting looking at societal challenge. But we don't have that kind of structure for dialogue in that deep way that you have. And I'm uh, worried about that. And I I would like to have, but I don't think you can order it. It has to also evolve in some ways. It has to be in self-interest and there has to be an organization. So that's something I, I really are keen to learning more about and what, how can we foster that also in Sweden. The big things that I'm worried about is the Brexit because not only for Swedish-British relations but also DSM as we talked about uh, the digital single market. This is uh, the two countries that have pushed this agenda perhaps most in Europe and I think when we talk about scale-up this is the question. We have to get the EU 27 now then to work more like one not as 27 if we want to scale up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, we will lose a partner in this in Europe. And that is my biggest worries, uh, actually, not only for Sweden, but also for Europe. So that's the worry I have. You kind of gave yourself advice. <laughs> yeah. That's very kind. Yeah. 
advice would you give? Advice for him. One advice then. I think one underestimated thing is to look at societal challenge as a driver for innovation. So I think Sweden has made yep. a very bold move yep. to say that we will be one of the first fossil-free countries in the world. I think this will drive innovation mm-hmm. and change. So I think Britain is not as bold in these areas, but you have some initiatives. But I think Sweden is uh, well ahead of Great Britain when it comes to sustainability. And that I think that's a mistake if you don't take sustainability really Absolutely. serious. Yeah. That will drive change and also okay. innovation. I wish we had as much hydro power as you. Yeah. <laughs> Please leave our audience with one or two key messages. Something perhaps we haven't gotten to touch on, but you want to use either as a call to action, as a call to action for founders, policymakers. Final final remarks. Nicholas? I think we need to think a, bit, a little bit bigger. And this is about uh, growth, but it's also about the future. Today we're living in a very, very fragile world. Very, very much volatility. And we are in the middle of a paradigm shift, whether we like it or not. And both on, on the environmental side, we are way, way, way over in, in debt to, to the planet. Mm. And that is because of technology. Not digital technology per se, but maybe the old technology. Mm. It's also because of our consum- behavior as consumers. And we are now in a place where we're way into the red. Because mm-hmm. in my mind, the, the biggest companies in the next 10 years are going to be companies which are addressing some of these big problems. Uh, so you have you know addressing some of the big sustainability problems with innovation, uh, technology innovation that are addressing a new type of, of, of consumers. And I think we can play a really, really big role here in Europe because we are uh, much more ahead of the rest of the world in, in that. So this is this is the great, the positive thing about technology. The other thing that is a scary thing is that we are in a technology kind of inflection point where technology is following the laws of um, an exponential growth curve. So in the beginning, it's, it's, it's very slow, very slow, very slow, it goes very fast, and then it just goes like through the roof. And so the next 20 years is going to be quite remarkable in, 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 in the impact of technology. You know, 20 years ago, technology was like the, the, like the, the contrarians, the, 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 you know, different thinkers, the weirdos. <laughs> now it's like technology is everything. And, and, and so this is going to have the backlash I've had against technology the last year is nothing compared to what we might see in the next few years. So we need to take these things really, really seriously. And, 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 and I think everyone who's involved with this need to really think deep. There's, there's no room anymore to say, well, we're doing our things and, and the politicians yeah. doing their things and civil society doing their things. This is really the time when we need to come together and, 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 and talk about how the future will look like. Why we do this series, why the embassy here is is actively pursuing this tech bridge is because I think if there's anything we can all unify around and agree on is this natural instinct to build, to create. Creativity and innovation should be borderless and should be positive and should be above national identities and religions and, and gender. And so that's what we're trying to do is bring back the positive energy into tech. And I think that can be done in this tech bridge. So thank you for coming. This is the second in the series. We look forward to seeing you again. And thank you so much to the panelists. Hey, Ambassador. Here we are after another, I think, really fun and cool, what was both provocative, but also there was laughter and also there were serious agenda items and calls to action to come out of it. Exactly what we hoped for. Um, It was such a spirited and amazing group. Uh, And I always love to hear your thoughts. What did you take away from this today? A positive spirit in a way. It was, I think you came out of the discussion feeling encouraged by both the people who 
come from really tech operators in a way, but also the two ministers involved um, spoke with some confidence about the future. I think that was interesting. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that there's so much negativity around technology. And I remember you saying this to me when, when, when you were beginning to spearhead this UK tech bridge is actually, it, it should be something positive. Um, creating things, building things, creativity, technology is a positive element that all countries share. And I really felt that today. I mean, there's been so much negativity in the past few months on, on the tech sector, but seeing this panel come together from, you had tech founders, you had EU officials, you had ministers, there were a lot of venture capitalists and investors in the audience. There was so certainly kind of a sense of, of camaraderie and solidarity and hope. And that's always good. Thank you once again, Ambassador, for hosting us well, in your beautiful you residence. <laughs> the best Swedish coffee there is, strong as always. And, and I'm so thankful to be part of this. We've just finished our second edition of the TechBridge Sweden UK podcast and event. And I must say, it's so exciting for me to hear people from the audience and what we're growing as a community saying, you know, they never... They never go to things like this. They never stay at these things. They never laugh so much. They never think so much as they have in these two events. And what a big cross-section and diverse set of people we've managed to bring in together. And, and that's the point, bringing different people together to do great things together. And so I'm just thrilled. There was so much, you know, sometimes when you talk about tech these days, it can be a bit negative, but there was so much joy and curiosity and openness to collaborate in the room today. And that's the spirit that we hope to continue next time. So today we talked about tech and politics, the future of the EU, the London and tech and Stockholm tech ecosystems. Our first episode, we talked about digital health. Personally, one of the most important areas I think health needs to be and is being disrupted faster than we think. And our next edition will be even more exciting. So stay tuned. I'm so grateful that you're following us. Thank you.